Good morning, Harmony, and happy Thanksgiving week. Um, Today, we are in our last sermon on brokenness and beauty series. Do you know that? So some of you are probably uh, bummed out by that. Maybe you're like, I've been really enjoying this series. Others, you are like, man, I'm glad we're about out of the woods on this one. This has been weird. Um, My grandmother told me uh, on the way home after Chris's kind of back-to-back sex sermons, she was like, I've never heard anybody preach like that before. And I said, Grandma, I don't think I have either. <laughs> so, um, but I'm grateful that we've been in this series. I think it's been worth our time for sure. And this uh, particular sermon is the last one, and it's going to be predominantly on the topic of singleness. It's going to be on the topic of singleness. And as I start off our time, I want to start off with a story that takes place when I was uh, still single. So when I was in 10th grade... I remember sitting in the back of class, and I had to squint to read what was on the board, and the pull-down projector screen, I couldn't read it, and I remember being at basketball practice my junior year, and the, the rim just started to become more and more fuzzy as I was farther away, and I had a problem, and my problem was I needed glasses. I needed glasses to see because my particular eyes um, are nearsighted, they're short-sighted, and so the back of a medicine bottle or a can, like as small as the print you can make it, I can read it. But anything that's far away, not a chance. Like it's blurry, can't see it at all. Now, if I don't have my glasses and I'm driving and there's like a road sign, like the big giant ones on the interstate that says exit here, what, such and such town, I can't even see it until I'm like 15 feet away. So um, rule, rule number one, if you are, if you need glasses, wear your glasses when you're driving. Um, but... So as I got these glasses, my grades just started skyrocketing, and I started scoring 30 points a game. No, that's not true. Um, <laughs> I'm not Brock Ido, okay? Um, the Carl Malone, he's the mailman, and I was like the garbage man. I just like got offensive and defensive uh, rebounds and put them back, and that's all I had. That was my only game, okay? So anyways, but I could see clearly, and that was actually really helpful, and I appreciated that, and... Um, because of my short-sightedness, I couldn't see the big picture at all. And so often for us in the church, we start getting nearsighted. We start getting short-sighted about things in life and the assignment the Lord's given us. And this is exactly the same thing that Paul knew, and he was trying to communicate to the Corinthian church, is they were starting to see things really short-sighted, nearsighted, and they couldn't see the big picture for their assignments in life and what God intended for them and also specifically for singleness and how important singleness was. So our passage is all about gaining God's perspective. And now I want you to turn with your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 17, and we're going to start to get God's perspective for all of us in our assignments in life. And there's three things that we need God's perspective for as we dive in here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're starting 17. And there's three things we're going to see in our sermon today, and that is that we need God's perspective for our specific assignment in life. We need God's perspective, secondly, on singleness, and third, we need God's perspective when we get it wrong. Now, although our passage has a large emphasis on singleness, it also talks about marriage, engagement, purity, circumcision, slavery, and being widowed. So, 
when you stop and think about it, it really shouldn't be a surprise to us that there's all these different people in the body of Christ at Corinth and it's diverse and there's these different people from different stages and circumstances in life because it's the same way in the body of Christ today, isn't it? That all of us are coming from a different place. All of us have a different lot and status where the Lord has us. And so Paul is gonna address several different groups of people and the main one that we're gonna find ourselves landing in towards the end of the sermon is the single person. So Follow along with me as I start reading in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Paul evidently has this rule or this instruction for all the churches in um, the New Testament uh, in the first century, but not just for them, but also for us. And this rule is to be faithful where we're at. So if you're taking notes, point number one, I already mentioned it, but the point number one is we need God's perspective on our assignment. We need God's perspective on our assignment. We're short-sighted. We don't always see the big picture, and that's why we need God's perspective. So let's look at the first group of people Paul addresses with their assignment in verse 18. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Now, real quick here, uh, if you were here for the Galatians series, you don't really need me to make any commentary on this uh, particular passage, but if you weren't, I'm gonna just real quick say, what Paul's saying here in, in the first century, there's people from Jewish background coming to follow Jesus for the first time. There are people from Gentile background coming to follow Jesus. And what he's saying is, if you're Jewish, you don't have to remove your ethnic marks of Judaism. You can still look like that and follow Jesus. And if you're a Gentile, you don't have to look like you're a Jew to follow Jesus either. You can stay in your lane where you're at. And what's so neat is because God, he's not concerned about the external markers of a person. He's concerned about the heart because out of the heart, that's where we obey the commandments of God. And that's why he mentions that in verse 19. So let's keep going here. The next group Paul mentions, verse 21, he says, were you a bond servant when called? Now, bond servant is a really nice way of saying slave. But what he's saying here is he's talking about slavery. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who is called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. And you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So he's reinforcing this again. Wherever you're at, remain there with God. But this, this needs some commentary here. So if you have a friend if you have a person that you come in contact with that says, oh, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible is pro-slavery. It's in there. I know it is. This right here is the verse that you take them to, and here's why. It's because, uh, actually, real quick, some background information. This is important. Slavery did take place in Bible times. However, it wasn't like the transatlantic slave trade and the injustice we know of col as colonial slavery that was experienced in England and in our own country that was such a grievous injustice. But in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was very common. 
and it was common to earn wages and to pay off debts. And though all some masters were cruel and oppressive, other masters were benevolent and took really good care of those that were serving them. But here's the thing is Paul's main agenda, it's not to be an anti-slavery activist, as good as that is. Paul's main agenda is to be a Jesus activist and an activist for his kingdom. And this is important because in Corinth, he's encouraging these believers who came to Christ and they were currently experiencing slavery that in order to become a believer in Jesus, you don't have to change your status of slavery because God sees you as a free person because you believe in Jesus. But what's so amazing about this is he says, if you can gain your freedom, by all means, you need to do that because it's better and we shouldn't be enslaved to people because mankind should not be enslaved to mankind because we're all image bearers of God and no one is our master but God. So Paul is treading this line really carefully and it makes sense too because his demographic here in Corinth, there was probably a third of every, uh, a third of the entire population in Corinth was, they were probably slaves. And so Paul isn't this anti-slavery activist. He's saying, if you come to Christ, your status is the same as everybody else who's come to Christ in the body of Christ. And you know what? If the opportunity comes up for you to become free, you need to take that opportunity. So I just think that's beautiful. And we could teach a whole sermon on this. Um, And what's also amazing is the imagery of slavery in the Bible and the rest of the New Testament, it always talks about how if we become followers of Jesus, we actually become slaves of Jesus. He is our master. And the thing is, is if we become a slave of Jesus, we actually become free because we're no longer enslaved to ourselves. We're no longer enslaved to sin and we're no longer enslaved to death. And that's good news. So I don't know about you, but the Bible is clear about slavery should not be taking place, except we do need to be slaves of Christ. And that's what Paul's getting across. So 17 to 24, he's saying, lead the life you currently have. Circumcised, uncircumcised, slave, free, live where you're at, bloom where you're at. You know, I had a friend who used to tell me, the grass is greener wherever you water it. And that's really true, isn't it? That's really true. The grass is greener wherever you water it. And serving the Lord faithfully and being fruitful for the kingdom, it's not dictated by our current situation or our circumstances. Do you believe that? It's not dictated by our current situation or circumstances. So for us today, if you're a junior, uh, excuse me, if you're a junior high student, if you're a high school student, lead the life the Lord has assigned to you right now. If you are a college student, if you're a young professional, lead the life the Lord has assigned to you right now. If you're a married person with crazy kids like me, lead the life the Lord has assigned to you right now. If you're an empty nester, if you're a grandparent, lead the life the Lord has assigned to you right now. And then I'm also thinking of, there's many people in this room who've lost a spouse, whether that was a long time ago or that was very recent. And God's word would say to you, don't, don't despair. God's with you. And he's going to help you as hard as it is, lead the life the Lord has assigned to you right now and even in this hard season. So that's point number one. We need God's perspective on our assignment. And that leads to point number two. And point number two is about one specific assignment and that assignment is singleness. So we also need God's 
perspective on singleness. And this is why it's so important. It's because not, um, sometimes we think that, you know, only the single, this is just the sermon for the singles now. You know, I can just tune out. I can just check out if I'm not single. But all of us were single at some point in our life. And the reality is, is that all of us will likely be single at some point in our life again. Okay? Even for married people, it's like, you know, husband and wife dying on the rocking chairs together at the same time. All right, that doesn't happen very often, okay? Singleness is something that all of us are going to have to experience, have experienced, and likely will experience in the future. So I want us to lean in to the rest of our sermon about singleness. And we also know singles that are our friends and our brothers and sisters in the Lord, that the Lord um, has uh, a great plan for them to be able to benefit us and for us to be able to benefit them. So let's look at verse 25. Paul says, now concerning the betrothed, which means a single person who is engaged to be married to someone, but not married yet. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Now, Paul isn't saying, I was praying and I wasn't getting anything from the Lord, so here's just my opinion. Take it or leave it. That's not what he's saying here. What, he, what he's saying is, I don't have a direct commandment from the Lord Jesus in his earthly ministry when he walked this earth and he taught and from the other apostles and from the writings. There's nothing that Jesus specifically said about betrothed people. But as an apostle of God, Paul is writing this letter by the authority of the Holy Spirit and 1 Corinthians is as authoritative as the Gospels and as Jesus' words. And so we need to keep that in mind as we go into verse 26. Paul is speaking as apostle, led by the Spirit, and here's what he tells this group. Verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry... You have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Again, Paul's driving home the point live faithfully where the Lord has you. He's saying the married people if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. But there's a caveat, and he says, but it's not a sin to get married. Marriage is from the Lord. You can get married. But right at this point, Paul begins to explain himself at a deeper level. Paul has such a high value for singleness because this world as we know it, this world as we know it, including marriage, including families, it's only temporary and it's all going to fade away one day. It's all going to fade away. And this is really where Paul lifts the gaze He lifts his gaze so that the Corinthians can also see this, so that they can really have God's perspective. Look at this in verses 29 through 31. Paul says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time, meaning the appointed time before Jesus returns. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now, these verses are weighty, but they do require a little bit of explanation. 
Paul's not saying that those who are married should ignore their spouses and live like they're single, okay? I'm sorry to disappoint you. Some of you might have been thinking, man, that's how I live right now. I'm like married and I just pretend like I'm single, okay? Not what it's saying, all right? Not what it's saying. And if that is you, you need to go listen to some of our other sermon series earlier in this series, okay? Um, But this is a little bit confusing because, you know, when you think about it, it's like, well, is is Paul not pro-marriage? And that can't be true because there's so many other places in the scripture where Paul is, and he talks specifically about marriage. Now, an awesome uh, privilege, privilege it is to be married. Now, it's a picture of the gospel. So Paul and the New Testament and the entire Bible is pro-marriage, and for that matter, it's pro-grieving. Mourn with those who mourn. It's pro-rejoicing. Rejoice with those who rejoice. It's pro-using the use of material goods for livelihood and kingdom work. So what in the world is Paul talking about here in verses 29 to 31? To help with this, uh, as I was doing some research, I came across a quote by Thomas Schreiner, who is a Bible professor at Southern Seminary, and here's what he says about these verses. It says, every sorrow and every joy is temporary. None will last forever. Thus, one should never think that sorrows or joys are permanent or ultimate. Full and everlasting joy belongs to the age to come, not to the present evil age. The same stance should be taken toward possessions. Any possessions owned now will not belong to believers permanently. The end is coming, and then all possessions will be gone. Schreiner says this perfectly. Remember the theme of our sermon today, God's perspective? Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, and he's trying to tell us the same thing, that we need to have this perspective in our lives, and that's that no earthly joy is going to last forever. No earthly sorrow is going to last forever. No earthly possessions and goods and trading and selling is going to last forever. No marriage is going to last forever. No family is going to last forever. It's all going to fade away. It's all temporary. But not singleness, not singleness. See, we will all be single in the new creation when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. And if you're thinking, you know, how do you know that? Do you really know that? Is just your opinion? Well, here's how I know that. It's because in Mark chapter 12, this is the discussion that Jesus has with the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were this, this group that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead and they were really coming to trick Jesus. And they said, Jesus, you know, there's a woman and she was married seven different times because her husbands kept dying. So she kept becoming a widow and kept getting married again. And at the resurrection of the dead, whose husband is she going to be? And Jesus says, you guys don't even know God or the scriptures. You don't know the power of God or the scriptures. Marriage as we know it now, is going to be done at the resurrection from the dead. People aren't going to be given to marriage, and it's not going to be anymore. And here's why. Because marriage in this life is just a picture of the ultimate marriage to come. And when you have the real thing, you no longer need the picture, right? So one of the reasons that singleness is so precious to God, and it's so precious in his perspective, is because singleness is the status of the eternal state. That's how all of us will one day be. For all of us, our eternal assignments will be that of singleness. But even though we will be single, we will be perfectly loved, perfectly known, perfectly content, perfectly satisfied in Christ. And if you want to put it another way, 
we will not be married any longer because we will all be married to Christ. We will all be married to Christ. And so we've got to get this church. We, we need God's perspective for this because if we stay in our short-sightedness, we're going to devalue singleness. We're going to think marriage is the ultimate thing. We're going to think having a family is the ultimate thing. And it's not because it's just a temporary picture of what's going to come. And all of us will be single one day in the new creation. Now, our last nine verses, we need to remember that they go in tandem. They're linked together with what we just learned in 29 to 31. And before I read 32 through 35, which is where we're going to spend the last bit of our time, I want us to skip down and look at verses 36 to 40, because Paul addresses two final groups, and he talks about singleness again. So in 36 through 40, Paul again addresses the betrothed, engaged people, and he also addresses widows. And his exhortation is the same to both of them. It's that they can get married, it's not a sin, but that it's better if they stay single. It's better if they stay single if they can stay content in that place. And I love what he says in verse 38. Look with me at verse 38. He says, so then... He who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. If you marry, you do well, and if you stay single, you'll do even better. Now, this is not positional. This doesn't mean God loves single people more. It's like, oh, I just love the singles. They're better than the marrieds. That's not what it means. Sorry, singles. But what it does mean, and this is key, what it does mean is that in regard to advancing kingdom work, marriage is silver and singleness is gold. In regard to advancing kingdom work with no strings attached to go wherever you want to go, to serve the Lord how you feel like he's called you to serve, marriage is silver and singleness is gold. And Paul's going to explain this in verses 32 through 35. He says this in 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man's anxious about the things of the, of, of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul is very aware that married people have anxieties and cares and obligations that single people do not. Paul is very aware of that. And because of this freedom that singles have, they have the best opportunity to make waves for the kingdom of God. They have the best opportunity to make a kingdom impact with their life. And yes, marrieds do too, and families do as well. Like we said, we've learned this already. Marriage is a picture of, a flourishing marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. How awesome is that? But it's still silver and singleness is gold when it comes to giving yourself fully to what the Lord would have you to do. Singles are in this position that they can give doubly, triply, maybe even quadruply more for the kingdom than marrieds and families can. And our text says that because of the divided interests. And this reality, it can maybe most be realized 
And who's writing this? So who's writing our letter? The Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, he was a single man and he was the greatest church planter and evangelist that we've ever seen in history. Maybe other than Jesus. <laughs> and there's so many others in the Bible and throughout church history that took up this mantle of singleness and used their singleness to the glory of God. Jeremiah, Nehemiah, John the Baptist, Anna, Martha, many of the church fathers and mothers, Lottie Moon, Amy Carmichael, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Corey Ten Boom, John Stott, just to name a few. And last but not least, Jesus. Jesus was single. Did you know that? Did you know Jesus was single? And this is so important that we get this because so often in our short-sightedness when we don't have God's perspective, we think that single people are uncontent, unfulfilled, incomplete. And this could not be further from the truth. That is so dead wrong. And we think, oh, oh, those poor single people, if they could just get married, they're probably just miserable. And we think, well, you can't really be fulfilled in life unless you get married and you have sex and you have kids. That's the only way you can really be fulfilled. But the reason this is so dead wrong is because Jesus, he was the most content, fulfilled, joyful, alive person that ever walked the face of this earth, right? That was Jesus and he was single. He didn't experience any of those things. And he was the most content, satisfied, filled up with God and his presence and his purpose for his life. The most alive man ever, fully complete. And he never experienced those other things within marriage. And see, if you're single today or you're married today, if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then you also can live a joyful and fulfilled and complete life because you can be complete because you only need Jesus for that, right? You only need Jesus to be complete. That's all you need is you just need Jesus. And one example, one outstanding example I'm thinking, I already mentioned it earlier, but I'm thinking of a couple of ladies that were in my list earlier, Lottie Moon and Amy Carmichael. And Lottie Moon, she, was, she grew up in the South and she was actually engaged to um, a Confederate general and she was gonna be married to him. But she loved Jesus so much and she wanted to do international missions and the guy she was gonna marry, he didn't love Jesus that much and he didn't wanna go on the mission field. And so she cut it off and she went to China and she was in China serving the Lord, planting Christian schools, uh, a, a mission there that she welcomed missionaries, trained them, mobilized them, translated the Greek New Testament into Chinese and just ministered to thousands of people through the course of her life in China. And she was there for 40 years ministering as a single woman. And Amy Carmichael, she was from Ireland and she felt a call to go to India. And Amy Carmichael went to India 
And she found out in Southern India that in the, the Hindu temples, that children were being abduct, abducted and kidnapped and taken to be used and married to the priests of the temple and to be prostituted at the temple for Hindu worship. And she made it her mission to go in there and she disguised herself as an Indian woman and she would rescue these children and bring them out of there and bring them to her orphanage and nurse them back to health and teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Amy Carmichael left Ireland and was in India for 55 years and never left India. And that's where she died and she was buried. These women wasted themselves for their Lord Jesus. They wasted their life in the best of ways for his mission. And I know for some of you today, you're thinking, man, my two greatest fears in my entire life, the two scariest things I can possibly think of is being single and being a missionary. It's being single and being a missionary. But guess what? Maybe that's what God wants you to do. Maybe that's exactly what God wants you to do. Or maybe he wants you to stay here and be faithful to his mission. And no matter what his call is on your life, he's going to be with you to live out that assignment and give you the strength, not only just to do it and to be obedient, but to be filled with joy and have purpose and to be complete in that too. Because here's the thing, the scariest place to be in our life It's not to be single, and it's not to be a missionary, and it's not to be both of those things. Not even close. That's one of the greatest calls you could have ever in your life. The scariest place to possibly be in your life is outside of God's will for you, outside of God's assignment for you. That's the scariest place to be. Now, we could end our sermon there, but I think I would be doing a big disservice if we simply ended with the bullseye, kind of Amy Carmichael, Lottie Moon, the Apostle Paul, Jesus. Because the reality is we don't even hit the bullseye. A lot of times we don't even hit the target. And so the last and final point I think is so important, and the Lord had this on my heart, is that we need God's perspective when we get it wrong. We need God's perspective when we get it wrong too. And here's what I mean by that. We need to remember the gospel. When we fail to live faithfully where the Lord has called us, single or not, when we complain, when we're frustrated, when we're dissatisfied, when we buck against God's call in our life, when we stiff arm him, when we go in our own direction, we realize that we cannot live up to the call that God has on our life perfectly. We will always fall short. We will always fall short. We cannot do this perfectly. But the good news is that there is one who has. There is one who has, and that's Jesus Christ, the perfect son of God who walked perfectly out in his assignment that the father had assigned to him in perfect obedience and faithfulness and righteousness. And he carried out that assignment all the way to the point where he died his death upon the cross and at the cross, the wrath and the judgment that we deserve for not hitting the bullseye 
and for not living out the assignment God has in our life and for not having his perspective, but being short-sighted over and over and over again, the wrath and judgment that we deserve for being in that place and stiff-arming God and not seeing how he sees it, all that was poured out upon Jesus at the cross. And then the obedience and faithfulness and the righteousness of Jesus, that was credited to us and that was put on us. Jesus was forsaken, but we receive the acceptance of a loving heavenly father. That's placed on us. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? If you do, you can live, you can speak, you can pray, you can sing with confidence. You can live with confidence because your greatest problem has been taken care of. And now you've been joined to Jesus. And the title that the Apostle Paul loves to use throughout the rest of the New Testament when he addresses the churches is he calls them the saints or the believers in Christ. In Christ. We are united to Jesus. We are united to Jesus and that's the perspective that God has of us. God's perspective is grace, a grace that unites us to Jesus forever and nothing can pull us apart from that. So whatever life season that you're in, from really early on, middle schoolers, junior high students, through young adult, middle age, senior citizen, beyond, you're like, I don't know how many days the Lord's got me left on this earth, but I believe what you just said. I believe the gospel. You are in Christ. And if you're in Christ, he is going to empower you and he's going to help you. He's gonna keep giving you grace and he is going to keep showing up for you because the one who called you is gonna be faithful to complete the work he started, amen? Amen. That's a promise. And that's a really good promise. Would you pray with me as we close?